News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hump Day, midweek. Wow, what a, what a busy week. I'm sure that you heard that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky just spoke moments ago to a complete session with the United States Congress. I hope you got to see some of it. I'll just tell you this. I'll give you a synopsis. He needs more assistance from the United States. He came with his hat in his hand saying, thank you for everything you've done, and we really appreciate it, but that's not going to get the job done. We need more. And he asked the big gift that they want is that no-fly zone. Unfortunately, we can't do that. So hang on just a second. We uh, we are trying to get a call on. Mark, are you there? Hello, Mark, are you there? Oh, we're not getting you. My goodness. This is crazy. Mark Grennan is calling us from Bogota, Colombia, from prison. And we uh, we tried, we had, before we went on the air, we uh, did a bunch of calls trying to get him live as a test. And um, I'm sorry to say it's not working. We're going to keep on trying. Dadgummit. Mark Grennan, an American former pastor, medical missionary, is in a prison in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. He was on the show with us for an extensive show, explaining everything and the reasoning for it a couple of months ago. And uh, we were planning to do an update this morning. Unfortunately, when you're in a prison, getting phones that can dial to the United States and do a show live are kind of scarce. And uh, he's got to be very careful at pretty much everything he does. You can imagine it, um, it's very complicated and it's very scary that a guy, and it's not just him, three sons involved in this. Uh, you go back if you want. Um, if we can't get him back on today, and dadgummit, I sure hope we can. Um, we published an article. Let's see the date we published this article. Uh, let's see. When did we publish this article? Okay, December 13th. He was on with us, and the article is titled Bolivia's Miracle Cure for COVID-19. And that miracle cure is the reason that Mark Grennan and his son in Bogota, Colombia are in prison. But another son is in prison in Miami. He's calling back. Let's try this one more time. Let's see. Can you hear us, Mark? We can't get you. We are not getting you. Something's up, and I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. We tested our phones here extensively 30 minutes before it was time to go live on the show. Dadgummit, I tell you what we, we're going to have to do. We're going to have to put this off and uh, get together 
when we're off the air after the show is over and work through the telephone issues, and I apologize. I don't, I'm not sure if it's on your end or our end. We tried it and tested extensively on our end with uh, phones calling, obviously, from the United States, but phone calls are phone calls, and we were not having any problems going live. We'll get it straight, Mark. I apologize, and I apologize to all you people out there. This man has been through something that nobody should ever go through, and it's happened because of the United States government, the Department of Justice, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and the entire medical bureaucracy here in America. They've been doing work for decades using not medicine, but using chemicals that have been used since the 1800s and that every hospital in the United States uses and has for many, many years. And they developed a solution from that that has amazing results in many, many ways. In fact, back in the 1990s, NASA called it a miracle cure. But then, of course, it didn't fit into the narrative of the medical bureaucracy in the United States. They went after him. Uh, He was acting as a missionary in Colombia, working there with hundreds of people, Bogota, Colombia natives and citizens, helping them with their their medical issues, not giving them drugs, folks. It's nothing like that. It was legal for over a hundred years, its use, and it still is legal. There is nothing illegal about it. But you know how when you get crosswise with the medical bureaucracy in the United States, we've seen it happen through the COVID-19 pandemic era. We've seen it happen over and over again. Some of the greatest doctors on the planet, hundreds of them, have been excoriated, been put on blacklist just because they spoke out about the realities of dealing with COVID-19 and that the fine line, the main story that we were getting from the United States medical bureaucrats regarding medicine, and they that's all they did wrong. They went against the flow. They went against the bureaucracy, and they have just been kicked to the curb. Many of these guys have lost a huge portion of their career, some of them entirely their medical career. Well, why don't we launch into what we know we can get into today. Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, He uh, spoke to a live session of Congress, lasted about 40 minutes, and he explained a lot of things, showed a lot of pictures that were just gut-wrenching of deaths in seriously injured Ukrainians during this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine by Russia and Vladimir Putin. The big thing that the president of Ukraine asked for was a no-fly zone to try to keep his people safe, and stop the bombing. The United States, other countries over there in Europe and the European Union, our partners in NATO, they voted unanimously not to do that because that would, they feel strongly, would incite a full-out war between Russian President Vladimir Putin in all of those European countries and the United States. And Putin has flexed his muscles telling us a no-fly zone is going to be considered as war. 
And he's also said if we go down that road, he is not adverse to using nuclear weapons in a fight. Well, hey guys, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay in Ukraine. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but I do know this, and you know this if you've watched it, the Ukrainian people are really tough, and they are committed to their country. They're committed to their country, and um, they're giving their lives They're giving their lives because of their country, and they're not giving up. Vladimir Putin thought this thing was going to last hours, not days. Three weeks he's been embroiled in this invasion, and it doesn't look like, except for all of the damage and the death that he has instigated, it still does not look like the Ukrainian people are going to throw in the towel. And we hope they don't. In the middle of all of this yesterday, Russia, I couldn't believe this when I saw this, Russia announced sanctions of U.S. officials. Kamala Harris doesn't make the cut. They didn't go after her. But Hillary and Hunter, they do. They're sanctioning a number of current of U.S. officials and former ones as well. What stands out among the list is not only who was on it, but also isn't on it. Chief among those left off, Kamala Harris. Former President Trump also failed to make the list. Included on the list are President Joe Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Even Hunter Biden who made a small fortune sitting on the board of a Ukraine gas company, Burisma Holdings, while his father served as vice president, he made the cut. Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced the sanctions yesterday late on Twitter in response to a, um, a bunch of unprecedented sanctions prohibiting, among other things, coming into the United States for top Russian officials. The Russians' stop list includes Joe Biden, Secretary Blinken, a number of other American figures on the basis of reciprocity. So when this was brought up yesterday in the press briefing and Jen Psaki, you're not going to believe what she had to say. I heard this and I almost passed out when I heard it. Listen closely to the question asked by the reporter and listen to Jen Psaki's reply. And the sure. were imposed today by Russia against yourself, President Biden, other top U.S. officials. Um, do you have a re- response to that? And how will it impact any of you, if at all? Sure. I would first note that President Biden is a junior. Chocolate, chocolate chip. Oh, yeah. So uh, they may have, may have sanctioned his dad. May he rest in peace. Um, the second piece I would say is that won't surprise any of you uh, that none of us are planning uh, tourist trips to Russia. None of us have bank accounts that we won't be able to access. So we will forge ahead. Thank you. Go ahead. Thanks, Jen. Sure. I would first note that President Biden is a junior. So uh, they may have, may have sanctioned his dad. May he rest in peace. Um, that is the most ridiculous, as ridiculous as Jen Shockey is, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard her say. He sanctioned President Joe Biden. He sanctioned. And she said, 
Well, he's a junior. Evidently, they sanctioned his father. God rest his soul. She said that. Everybody on earth realizes that's a cop-out, trying to somehow fade from anybody's uh, knowing and understanding that this president is sanctioned by Russia. (laughs) There's no need for Jen Psaki to get out there and do that kind of thing. I was blown away that she would do it. And then it it just got ridiculous when she put that line in there about President Biden is a junior. They probably sanctioned his dad. So all of the nut stuff goes on. It's not just military stuff. Yesterday, part of a key pipeline that transports natural gas from Russia to Europe, all of a sudden, it reversed its flow. Flows in the Yamal Europe pipeline, which sends natural gas to Germany through Poland, were recorded going eastward away from Europe yesterday. Reuters reported that they were citing data from German network operator Gascade. Flows leaving Germany were moving at a whopping 4.3 million kilowatt hours per hour at one section of the pipeline. But they're going back to Russia. The pipeline is operated by Gazprom. You've heard it talk about it all the time. That's a big Russian state-owned energy giant. It's one of three routes that Gazprom uses to export natural gas to Western Europe. The Yamal Europe pipeline is responsible for about 10% of the region's natural gas, meaning a big flow shift could lead much higher energy prices for many European consumers. Just so you know, Russia is responsible for about 50% of European gas imports. If Russia stops the gas supply to Europe, it could have and would have a seismic impact on European energy. Now think about that. If he turns his spigot off on gas, it's going to affect him at the at the the bank. Of course, he's sanctioned, so he's having difficulty getting to any of his accounts. But just think what it would do to Europe. Half of their gas gone. And remember, before Joe Biden became president, we were selling them gas in the form of liquid, LNG, liquid natural gas. We were pumping the snot out of it in Louisiana, in Texas, in New Mexico, and it was all going to the port of New Orleans and was put pumped into big tankers and they were going to Europe. Why would we do that? Because as of October 2020, we became officially energy independent. We were creating all of our own energy when it comes to oil and gas and the others thrown in together. For the first time in decades, the United States wasn't buying energy from overseas. And then, of course, here comes Joe Biden. He gets elected, and on day one, he did exactly what he promised everybody he was going to do. He began to go after the fossil fuel energy and shut it down, and there have been all kinds of disguises put on some of the things that he's done. But basically, folks, he's trying his best to deflect the facts people would quit pointing our fingers at him as his being responsible for what's happening with our energy stuff here. We're forced to buy from overseas because he basically, with his policies and his executive orders, he shut down the fossil 
energy companies in the United States, put hundreds of thousands of people in the United States and Canada out of work. And now, now there are members of Congress that are screaming for him to do something else. We'll get into that in just a little bit, but we're keeping our eyes on what's happening over there with the gas coming from Russia to uh, Northern Europe. This um, new green deal, uh, new green deal, green energy, AOC, Ilhan Omar, other members of the, um, I guess it's a syndicate, gang, whatever you want to call them, they put all this climate change stuff front and center. It's been around. Al Gore kind of kicked it off. It's been around for a while. You know that. And it just gets bigger and stronger. And a generation of young people have been brainwashed to believe that we can literally change our climate. It's impossible. There's no science that shows that we can change our climate. What we can do is fix pollution. And we've been doing that in the United States over the last 20 years. Every year, we've reduced our fossil fuel emissions, more so than any other country on the earth. But even doing that, folks, if we could change the climate on the planet, we would have to have 192 countries sign in because there's lots of pollution and environmental problems that are far worse than what we have in the United States. China, India, two of the the biggest polluters on the earth, and they're not doing anything to impact climate with what they're doing politically and in their energy usages. It would have to be a worldwide venture, and that's not going to happen. There is no way we're going to get 190. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't get half of those countries together. And so what this is all about, there's no other alternative to believe. Why? Why is this climate change uh, fantasy just ramping up and getting bigger and louder and stronger every day? It's because people believe that we can take over our climate. But what they're really doing, not planning or wanting to do what they're really doing, and they're having tremendous success, far more than I wish they had, is to take more power from the people and use it at the top level of government to manipulate us. Now, you you might say, well, they can't do that. We've got people in Congress that oversee everything our government does. They control the purse. The House of Representatives is where all those spending bills have got to be initiated. And yeah, Nancy Pelosi controls it, but they have a very slim margin there. And in the Senate, they're not getting any of this stupid climate change stuff passed. So we've got them. Well, we don't have them, folks. We don't have them. We may have a temporary pause, but the left is going crazy to make Joe Biden do even more to ramp up his climate agenda. Now, these green groups are actually celebrating what he had to say last week on clean energy. He said, clean energy is the answer to ending our country's reliance on foreign oil after he banned imports of Russian oil and gas in an effort to weaken Putin. Try to reconcile this in your mind. I can't get my head around it. 
we quit drilling oil. Well, we're not, but it went way, 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 way down. All of our fossil fuel energy operations probably are at 40% of where they were when Joe Biden took office. Why? Because he he took that, that operation and he just went after it. He canceled the XL pipeline permit. He stopped drilling on federal lands and he put in a, a mess of executive orders that were and are so egregious with full of regulations that just kneecap our domestic energy industry. These companies, folks, if they know that somebody in the White House hates them, hates what they do, and wants them, and they have been very vocal about it, they want to shut down the fossil energy, uh, the entire process, just shut it down, do away with it. But here's the problem. They don't have anything to replace it with. This is the insanity of this. There is no way to flip the switch on fossil fuel and then flip the switch to turn on 100% green energy that equals the usage of the American people in fossil fuel. They didn't come up with a transition plan. They feel like the answer is just, bam, stop it. So what are we doing now? Well, we're not going to buy Russian oil and gas now. We're not going to do that. But what the president is doing, he's on the phone every day begging for even Iran, Venezuela, and Saudi Arabia to sell us oil. Now think about that. He tells us every day how evil fossil fuel is. We got to get rid of it. We got to get rid of it. But yet, they didn't give us anything to replace fossil fuel energy with. And so now he's on the phone begging every day for fossil fuel, for oil from OPEC, Saudi Arabia principally, even Iran and Venezuela to sell us oil instead of telling our energy company CEOs start pumping again. If he had done that when this Vladimir Putin invasion of Ukraine was, we knew it was imminent for weeks, a couple of months, we knew it was going to happen. And we knew when that happened, it would impact our energy and our ability to get energy. But he didn't do those kind of transition plans. His answer to everything is just flip a switch to shut what he doesn't like, to shut it off, flip another switch and throw in the fix. There's no answer. It's impossible even if we had the infrastructure to stop 100% reliance on fossil fuel without a long-term plan. We have no long-term plan. He's got people in his administration that could do that. They could help us get some kind of plan put together where we could make a realistic transition over a realistic length of time to be able to do it. Nothing. Just do it. Just do it. Well, if you join the show, I told you we were going to have a chat with uh, Mark Grennan, our friend who's in prison in Bogota, Colombia. And uh, 
there's a problem getting his telephone signal into our studio where we have access. I've, I've never had a problem getting telephone, regular telephone service in here to have an interview with somebody. And we tested it before we went live on the air and could not get it done. Um, we're going to do it. It may now be early next week. We'll be able to test and get something done. He was supposed to call in about 30 minutes before we went live at TNN Live. And of course, when you're in a jail cell, uh, you can't just uh, pick up a telephone and call. You've got to coordinate it on that end. There may be a problem or so there. But I can tell you this. You need to go back and read that story. Um, it's a dramatic thing, and it's really it's really tough for me to believe that the United States government would collude with the Colombia government, which is what they did, and went and arrested him and his son. And they won't extradite him to the United States. They won't give him a trial. Do you know they've been in prison there for 18 months? 18 months. Now, if you're new to this, let me tell you what it's all about. Um, have you heard of chlorine dioxide? Chlorine dioxide was invented back in the 1800s. And um, it is a, a solution. It's a, combina- a combination of chlorine and oxygen. And it's used as a clean. Every hospital in the United States uses it. But there's a whole lot more to it. There's a clinical study out there. The study was registered and accepted in clinicaltrials.gov on April 7, 2020. It falls within the studies that are categorized as quasi-experimental studies by the National Center for Biotechnology Information. It's the first clinical study with chlorine dioxide being used for therapeutics in humans demonstrating with scientific evidence its effectiveness and its safety in the treatment for COVID-19. The research focused on studying the effectiveness of the use of chlorine dioxide in patients with SARS-CoV-2 measuring before and after treatment, the clinical symptoms present, and laboratory variables based on standardized and accepted scales and research of an experimental group compared to a control group. The study showed that chlorine dioxide is effective in patients treated with oral chlorine dioxide and that its use in COVID-19 pandemic becomes and positions itself as a great hope to help control it based on the scientific foundations revealed in previous research. It's it's shown to be beneficial in the treatment of COVID, making negative RT-PCR, in other words, COVID-19 being gone, killed, seven days in 100% of the patients who took it during the clinical study. And their symptoms rapidly going away, significantly reducing the lab parameters to normal in a space of between two weeks and three weeks. In addition, the researchers observed patients who consumed it as a treatment for COVID reduced post-illness symptoms compared to patients not treated 
with chlorine dioxide. Following this study, and it's a clinical study, it's what Fauci and everybody else always hollers about, but when they see one that they didn't authorize, they didn't fund at the National Institutes of Health of the CDC, they won't even consider its efficacy. Physicians around the world now have the right to legally use chlorine dioxide in accordance with paragraph 37 of the Declaration of Helsinki which is the big declaration that every country on earth signed onto, and it still is in operation. The use of chlorine dioxide gives new hope to end the COVID-19 pandemic and to save a bunch of lives. The Declaration of Helsinki has been promulgated by the World Medical Association as a body of ethical principles that should guide the medical community And paragraph 37 of it states this, when proven interventions do not exist in the care of a patient or other known interventions have been ineffective, the physician, after seeking expert advice with the informed consent of the patient or an authorized legal representative, may be allowed to use unproven interventions if, in his opinion, this gives some hope of saving lives, restoring health, or alleviating suffering. Such interventions should be further investigated in order to assess their safety and efficacy. In all cases, this new information must be recorded and, when appropriate, made available to the public. Now listen to what happened in 2020, and we published this earlier. In Bolivia, Bolivia in South America, law number 1351 of 2020 was approved that authorized the preparation, commercialization, supply, and use under consent of the CDS, their oversight medical entity in the government, CDS. Chlorine dioxide solution has been approved there nationwide and been approved for this, prevention and treatment of COVID-19. An ethics committee was legally constituted, endorsed by the Bolivian Ministry of Health, which approved this multi-center retrospective international research protocol made up of five universities. They are the Technical University of Oruro, Public University of El Alto, Greater University of San Simón, University Antomino Gabriel René Moreno, and the Technical Institute of Yacubia, which in turn, through their clinical, scientific, and their ethical research committees, conducted their own research on chlorine dioxide for its use in different applications. Stats from Bolivia show a dramatic reduction in cases and deaths over the last six months. For example, from a peak of 2,031 daily cases back in August of 2020, cases dropped from 2,031 to 147 cases October of 2020. That's a 93% decrease. In other countries, the increase in mortality was maintained. In Bolivia, it fell, massively, dramatically fell attributing this decrease to the consumption of chlorine dioxide as a possible explanation. 
In other Latin American countries, chlorine dioxide is also beginning to be used with great success to combat COVID. For example, do the doctors who make up COMUSAV, World Health and Life Coalition, who apply it to their patients, and they're having excellent results. So here's the skinny Omar Grinnan. He was a pastor up in the northeast of a very large church. And this is 20 years ago, 25 years ago. He felt a call to get into medical missions work. So he and his family, they went overseas, multiple countries, most of them in Africa and then in South America, Central and South America. And what they would do, they would go over there and they would set up clinics and work with local doctors and local governments and help very sick people with their medical problems. They raised a lot of money through various organizations to fund a lot of what they were doing. Raved reviews for decades of everything they did. And in the midst of this, Mark Grennan was introduced to chlorine dioxide and began to research it and found out it was invented way back in the early 1800s. It had been used dramatically for decades, actually 200 years plus, treating people for various problems that they had. And it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing potpourri of problems that it's worked on very successfully for decades. Dramatic results. In fact, there's a movie out, and I've watched it. You can still get it on YouTube. The title of it is The Universal Antidote. Now, let me let me preface by telling you this. It is a documentary, and the guy who did it, that put it all together, was very skeptical. But he spent, I don't know how many hours, hundreds of hours in different countries talking to different people, talking to people that had been treated with it, and everything about it. Long, long, long conversations. And they're documented in this video. I recommend, I highly recommend that you watch it. It's called The Universal Antidote. And if you can't get it on YouTube, you can go to our story that uh, we published on this December 13th of 2021. The title is Bolivia's Miracle Cure for COVID-19. And the link to that is there. We're going to get Mark on the phone again. We may be able to do it tomorrow. We'll, we'll check with him and, and, and see if we can get the telephone stuff fixed. He was supposed to call in, as I said, about 30 minutes before the show today. And obviously he couldn't do that until right when we went live on the air and we couldn't get it done. I apologize. I know you're listening, Mark. I apologize for the technical problem. We want to get you back because you've got a bunch of new stuff to talk to us about. And it's important that we know the facts. And this is not just a poor Mark and his poor sons with uh, a war going on with uh, the medical bureaucracy. FDA even is involved in it. Think about that. How would you like to go up against the CDC and the FDA? They have unlimited dollars in their pocket. And then you've got a couple of judges in South Florida that are just horrible. I mean, they are dictators from the bench. I mean that seriously. 
we found out by following this and getting more information about it. It's pretty rough there. We got a lot more to talk about. Yep, everything's going on ramped up in Ukraine. But a lot here domestically. Important things that you need to know. Back after this at TNN Live. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Well, there looks like there may be some sunshine over the horizon regarding Russia and Ukraine. Russia has revealed an outline for a possible peace deal. And this deal, if it would be accepted by both, would put an end to what's going on in Ukraine with Russian's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, saying a business-like spirit has emerged in their negotiations with concrete formulations that he said are close to being agreed on. Lavrov made those uh, comments late yesterday on a Russian television channel, RBC, and he expressed some hope that a compromise could be reached between the warring sides. A neutral status is being seriously discussed in connection with security guarantees, he said. There are concrete formulations that, in my view, are close to being agreed. Lavrov said Russian negotiators have told him the talks are not easy for obvious reasons, but nevertheless, there is some hope for finding a compromise. It's interesting, folks, when you hear coming out of the mouths of the guys at the top and they're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're looking like we may get a peace deal done. What that says is, now this is the power side of this invasion. That would be Russia. You hear them saying that, they're throwing out 
an appeal to the other side, to Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, and saying, we really want to make a, a deal. And the reason is, is Russia is running out of everything. They can't get money internationally anymore. Uh, I'm sure China is helping them kind of behind the scenes, but using traditional uh, traditional finance, they can't do it. They're still selling oil around the world, but they're having difficulty getting paid for the oil that they're shipping. That can't last forever. And so what, what else happens? Well, their military equipment, they have been devastated in Ukraine. No exact numbers, but a bunch of fighter jets have been shot down. Tanks have been destroyed, not to mention the soldiers. Thousands of these soldiers have actually quit and just turned around and left. They were shooting holes or cutting holes in the gas tanks on the military vehicles so they wouldn't have to use them moving forward. They don't like this war, and they don't want to be a part of it. They don't see and understand its necessity, and it all goes back to a tyrant, a despot at the top, that is consumed with power and wants more, and you're going to find it hard, really hard, to get the people to sign on to that, especially people that are sitting there in a pretty peaceful environment, and they don't hate Ukraine. Ukraine are their brothers and sisters. And there's no reason, they see no reason to invade Ukraine. And folks, this invasion is probably the most brutal invasion of any kind that we've seen since maybe World War II. And if we don't get our arms around this, it could very easily ramp up and turn into World War III. And I don't think we want to go there. How do Americans feel about this thing now? Well, unfortunately for the president, he's not seen a big bump in his poll numbers since the beginning of the Russian invasion indicating that although Americans support the Ukrainians, domestic issues like skyrocketing gas prices, big-time inflation, are tanking his approval ratings and support for him. A number of recent polls show that Biden's getting good marks for his handling of the Ukraine crisis and his efforts to smack Russia for its aggressive moves against the country of Ukraine. But that tentative approval is being quickly overshadowed by strong disapproval on the domestic front. And that potentially spells disaster, not just for him, but for Democrats in the midterm elections in November. A poll from the Wall Street Journal that came out last Friday shows 50% of voters approve of Biden's stance against Russia, 47% approve of his handling of the Ukraine crisis. Unfortunately for Joe, those numbers did not improve his overall rating which is stalled at 42% in the journal poll and is trending much lower than in the other polls. Most of the president's poll problem is due to 63% of voters don't like his handling of inflation that is enveloping the nation, and it's due. In spite of what you hear the Democrats say, it's all because of Joe Biden's policies. There's a a research poll that comes out, and this is a leftist company that does it. It's called Navigator Research. Came out last week. They found that 59% of voters approve of Biden's handling of Ukraine, 
Once again, however, his overall rating is at 43%, which many consider overly optimistic. What's happening, folks, is reality is setting in, and it doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. What matters is your life and what's going on in your life, the ups, the downs, the roadblocks, and then the explanations for all of these issues that you faced every day. We're not people that don't face problems, and we're not people that don't understand when you when you have these problems, you got to find a way through them. In this government, and not just the White House, folks, in this government at every level, that desire to push through and find solutions for the American people and help people get back to a good place in their lives, it's vapid. It's gone. There's nothing up there. Oh, they tell us every day, anytime this president gets a microphone, he tells us how much he loves the American people and how much he wants the people to get back to where we were when life was a whole lot better, we had control of it. But monetarily, everything to do with our economics, mine and yours, this president has lost it. You heard about, you always hear about when there's a presidency around that's kind of controversial. You always hear about the budget deficits because those are the people that typically come up with the spending plans that they send to Congress and Congress will come up with some version after they amend it, kick this out, add this. It just turns into a boondoggle. But in my recent lifetime, every presidential administration has had a deficit. And the Biden deficit, I got to be honest, it's just absolutely horrible. But Joe Biden has, he's come out and made some of the most outlandish claims that can't be verified or documented, like this. But with this bill, we're going to send a message to the American people, a strong message. With billions more included in this bill, and we're going to fund a lot more of them, after four years in a row of increasing deficits before I took office, we're now on a track to see the largest ever decline in the the deficit in American history. For hardworking families without raising taxes, without raising inflation, without raising the deficit. Let me remind everybody, I actually last year cut the budget $360 billion cutting the budget. And all of you know that today is the anniversary, as Nancy said, since we passed the American Rescue Plan. Within the first month of an office, thank God, thank God you did it. And anybody thought when we're going to pass a bill that's one trillion nine hundred billion dollars? Going to do that? Well, yeah, you did it. I ask you, and you did it. We did it alone, without one single solitary Republican vote. And it didn't cause the inflation. After four years in a row of increasing deficits before I took office, before I was before I was sworn in, we're now on a track to see the largest ever decline in the deficit in American history. I'm back. Folks, nothing that he said is true. And it gets even worse. Nancy Pelosi, 
got up on her bully pulpit, and here's her claim. Democrats' massive spending bills and the proposed Build Back Better bill does not increase inflation. She said that during a press conference. It's false. It's false. One other point that we'll make about it is that what we are doing in our legislation, she said, what we would do in Build Back Better, 17 Nobel laureates in economics said that legislation does not increase inflation. This is Speaker Pelosi. It is non-inflationary because of the way it's written. Now she went on to dismiss the critics who uh, are blaming government, and I've got my hand in the air. I'm, I'm blaming the government for spending, for increased inflation, before claiming that their spending bills are actually reducing the national debt. At one point, Pelosi claimed global inflation starts with Russian President Vladimir Putin. We're paying very close attention to it, but this starts with Putin because the global inflation for reasons beyond the gas price, she said. Global inflation is something that we have to deal with globally. What a deep statement. Quote, global inflation is something we have to deal with globally, (laughs) but we have our responsibility to deal with it at home. And we have legislation that does just that by increasing supply and way that is not adding to inflation. Now listen to this. Between January 2021 and January 2022, consumer prices increased by 7.5%, according to the Consumer Price Index in Biden's government. This percentage is going to increase. It's expected to 7.9% when the Labor Department releases numbers for February. Tomorrow, we'll have the number. Even though Pelosi feels she's not to blame, many economists, a big majority of them, have called out the Democrats' massive spending as the primary reason for increased inflation rates. Even Barack Obama's former lead advisor on the auto task force blames Joe Biden for inflation, Steve Ratner. He said this is Biden's inflation and he needs to own it. Inflation rates began to increase dramatically during 2021 after Congress passed that big $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. Inflation only began to accelerate last March after years of coming in below the Fed's 2% target. The Fed had decided, that's the Federal Reserve, to keep the interest rates low, although the economy was recovering at a faster-than-expected rate. What's more, the Biden administration pushed through billions of dollars of deficit spending in the American Rescue Plan. Those combined with fuel demand for goods and services faster than supplies could expand, that all pushed up prices. Fed Reserve Chief Jerome Powell, following the advice of many of the economists on their staff, initially claimed inflation was due to transitory factors. Remember that? In fact, they told us back then over and over again, this inflation, it's transitory. It's going to go away. Fed officials forecast inflation would fall in the latter half of 2021, predicting that supply chains would swiftly take everything back and rebalance consumer demand from goods to services would relieve pricing pressure when it did. The Biden administration 
under former Fed Chair and now Treasury Secretary Janet Lellen, largely followed suit, continued to press for even more spending. A recent fact check found that Representative Cindy Axnes, a Democrat from Iowa, claimed that increased government spending is not the cause of rising inflation as false. Additionally, Biden refused to own up to his role in inflation, shifting the blame to President Putin. Biden now refers to inflation as Putin's price hike, and we still call it here Bidenflation. Bidenflation. Now, you heard what Joe said out of his own lips. Biggest drop in deficit spending in American history. Listen to this, folks. The numbers coming out of his administration, the people that come up with these numbers, last year's deficit is half a trillion dollars. I guess if I say it louder, it means more. It's it's more truthful. Half a trillion dollars. That alone is higher than any deficit in the four years of Donald Trump. I don't know who gives this guys in the administration, gives them the numbers, but they, they're, they just lost it. I mean, you can't get away with going on stage again and again and again and telling the American people lies that can be fact-checked. And no, Facebook, Twitter fact-checkers, they didn't come up with this, what I just told you. This came out of Joe's economic division. The people that do all of this reporting and figure it, the U.S. Treasury. Janet Yellen's on top of it. And they're spewing this venom to the American people. Now, that was to a bunch of Democrats, and they think that nobody outside of that group of Democrats are going to hear that lie that's being told. And they don't care, folks. They'll go out and say anything to try to pacify that segment of the, of the American populace that will just believe anything that is said coming out of a presidential administration. Just sitting there clapping their hands, and they know We have massive deficits going into this year. It's even going to be higher. And he said it's going to be lower than ever before. Meanwhile, they like the fact that the Ukraine-Russia invasion thing keeps our attention away from the State Department and that Iran nuclear deal that they are surreptitiously working on behind our scene that we see every day. They want us to go back into this Iran nuclear deal, but the terms have changed. And we reported on it here and told you that it has Russia as the arbiter between Iran and the United States. And so a lot of noise about this. A lot of American people are saying, no way. A lot of members of Congress, when it came uh came to the light that this was being negotiated, went crazy too. Well, the State Department yesterday warned that any attempt by Russia to push sanctions relief as the UN looks to secure a nuclear deal with Iran will fail. The JCPOA, 
that's this agreement's name, is not going to be an escape hatch for the Russian Federation and the sanctions that have been imposed on it because of the war in Ukraine. That's according to Ned Price, Jen Psaki's counterpart over at the State Department. His comments came after talks on reaching that nuclear deal with Iran have once again stalled, this time over Russian demands. Russia is a member of the JCPOA, along with the United Kingdom, France, Germany, the European Union, and China. Russia threw a wrench into the near-year-long negotiations after it called for its own sanction relief to be including in the Iran nuclear deal. I guess if I was Putin, I'd ask for that. The West hit Moscow with crippling sanctions following their invasion of Ukraine and three weeks ago. We reported on that and gave you the exact information. It's really hitting Russia hard, not hard enough evidently for them to pull back out of the war totally. Russian negotiators stalled the nuclear deal by demanding sanction immunity for any future trade with Iran. So State Department spokesman Ned Price Tuesday said talks were ongoing but noted we're not there yet. Nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. It's not clear if we have agreed to any of Russia's demands, but the State Department said the U.S. would not sanction Russia for undertaking or participating in nuclear projects that are part of the JCPOA. Russia supported the original agreement that held, it expired in 2019 when Tehran argued it was no longer bound by the deal following the U.S.'s withdrawal in 2018. Price argued Russia still supports the agreement and said a nuclear Iran was not in Moscow's interest. It's interesting. You've got three parties there, and they all kind of hate each other. Governments are just aligned directly against each other. It's a three-way shoot. Russia hates Iran. Iran hates the United States. Russia (laughs) and the United States hates Russia. It's kind of like that song, Will It Go Round in Circles? And that's what we're dealing with now. If you joined the show late, you missed the first part of the show, and you didn't miss much. Our buddy, our friend now, Mark Grennan, in prison down in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia, waiting extradition back to the United States to face a trial on bogus charges, as his one son with him in Bogota, two more sons are in prison in Miami. They've been in jail, folks, for 18 months now. 19 months, maybe. No trial. The charges are bogus against them. They refuse, they being the U.S. government, refuses to extradite Mark and his son back to the United States to face trial. They cut a deal with the Columbia officials to keep him down there, I guess basically to keep him quiet, and he's not quiet. He's been on this show once back uh, in December. We tried to get him on, and we have communication problems between here and the Bogota jail where he talked to us before. But we're going to get back with him. Um, Sometime later in the day, we'll get the communication issue straightened out, at least figure out what it is, and see if we can do something about it. But he'll be back on. He's got a lot of new information, 
And it's going to be interesting to get a perspective of a guy that spent a lot of time over in Europe and Africa in missions work, and he knows the Ukraine situation. He knows it in the people there very well. In addition to the latest update on his craziness, what's happening to him, we'll try to get it on tomorrow. It may not be feasible for him until maybe Monday or Tuesday of next week. But Mark Grennan will be back on with us. Lots more ahead. Lots happening, isn't it? Back in a minute. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central, for Dan Newman, TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. Jen Psaki, Nancy Pelosi, a bunch of other folks in the administration blaming the gas price increases on who? Vladimir Putin. Well, two commentators went on Fox News on Monday of this week to talk about those gas prices, and they debated whether or not it's accurate for Joe Biden to assign the blame to Vladimir Putin. You know this. Prices at the pump have been causing a lot of us a lot of pain. And assigning blame for them has become a potent political football. Both parties assign the blame to each other or to outside circumstances. Democrats, probably fearful of voter retaliation, and what was already looking like a difficult midterm battle this November in which a lot of people think they're going to lose at least control of the House of Representatives and maybe the Senate as well. Well, they've largely seized on the idea that Putin's brutal assault on Ukraine is the sole reason for gas prices to be spiking because of the worldwide ripple effects and the instability. 
Republicans, of course, have taken the opposite approach. They have just excoriated Biden's energy policies as attacking America's energy sector without actually providing a reasonable alternative. You're being kind when you say it that way. It's really, they don't have a plan to change us. There is no transition plan, and they can't provide green energy sufficient to fuel the nation now and won't be able to for years to come. So it's stupid to shut down fossil energy production without having plans to replace it. Matthew Foldi from the Washington Free Beacon, David Carlucci, who's a Democrat strategist, they were on Fox News night to talk about the issue on Monday. When asked whether he would admit that prices had been on the rise before Putin invaded Ukraine, Carlucci did agree, but he put a caveat into that. Listen to this. This is a Democrat, a strategist. We've seen inflation increase steadily over the past few months. But the invasion of Ukraine has obviously exacerbated the situation. So I think President Biden is right to blame Putin for this price increase. Is it the answer to all of the issues with inflation? No. So, the other side. Carlucci also agreed that energy independence was a desirable goal. I think nothing speaks louder of our need for energy independence than this situation that is going on in Ukraine right now. Guest host Kevin Corker did note that prices had been increasing for 57 of the past 59 days, but that would still be within the window the Russians' invasion plans have been made apparent to the world. Though outside of that window, 57 to 59 days, of the actual start of the most recent phase of the invasion on February 24th, remember Russian Russia has been illegally on Ukraine soil since 2014 when it seized Crimea through force and sponsored militias in the Donbass region. More recently, gas jumped 41 cents in just a week as of Monday when they aired that show. Corker then went on to assert that prices had risen 59% under Biden, accused Carlucci of making a specious argument for pointing out the context and timing of those jumps in relation to Putin's escalation since last December. So they put up a graphic that showed the prices. Corker noted that it's up 41 cents from just a week ago. It's even worse than that. We're talking much worse, if you think about it. Gas prices have gone up some 60% since Biden took office. So looking at just that number, you have to say it is a bit of a specious argument to sort of try to put this all on Vladimir Putin. Well, it is concerning for Biden that one year he's blamed on everything from Vladimir Putin to corporations for the consequences of his own actions, right? On day one, remember this, Biden declared war on American energy. First thing he did, canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. And that sent the entire oil industry into a tailspin of uncertainty. Why would you ever invest long-term American energy? When, if when Democrats come into the White House, they'll shut down your pipelines, which they did. Foldi also noted Biden has canceled permits for oil and gas drilling, while Democrats pressured oil companies to stop drilling in America. They've been very, very vocal about it. 
demanding that oil companies stop producing oil. Fuldi also pointed that after the embargo on Russian oil went into effect, this policy then left Biden scrambling for deals with hostile regimes in Iran and Venezuela to find replacements, since the current levels of American production couldn't compensate for the difference. Carlucci nevertheless insisted these were simply the cost of accepting the need to use less energy and for some sort of alternative, presumably a reference to green energy, though Carlucci didn't give any details or specifics other than to say the oil industry has us by the neck. And you know why that's happening. Of course, they didn't admit this. The oil industry has the administration by the neck because there's no other choice. Nobody will answer the telephone. I've, I've heard numerous... Trevor Noah, nighttime host, he's a hard leftist. He came out two or three nights ago and he made it very clear all of this falls on Joe Biden. It doesn't have anything to do with Vladimir Putin. Biden inherited an energy-independent country, period. October of 2020, a month before the election, we became energy-independent. We were actually selling energy overseas. We had enough for us, selling it for other people. I remember when President Trump came to office, even during his campaign for president, and he told us all, my goal is for us not to be energy-independent, I want to be energy dominant so that nobody can use energy issues against us internationally. He was laughed at. Democrats just, they couldn't believe he was so brash as to make that that claim. And of course, he did it. That's just one of a number of promises that he made when he was campaigning that he fulfilled as president of the United States. In fact, Numerous things that he accomplished were things that he campaigned on, and every one of them, Democrats laughed at him, said he couldn't do it, it was impossible, and I think that's a huge part of the reason that Democrats from the very beginning have been so set on doing anything and everything necessary to get rid of Donald Trump. You know what I'm talking about? It just seemed like that's all that mattered. There was nothing else that mattered. So yesterday, we'll go back and talk to or listen to former President Ron, Ronald Reagan's economic advisor, who knows a lot. He went back and explained this in the context of where we are with Russia, Ukraine, and all of the other issues that feed into our energy problems. Here now is Art Laffer, former Reagan economic advisor. Uh, Art, thanks for joining me. So give me your take. Again, we, we have a potential shutdown in China, maybe affecting the supply chain more. We have rate hikes coming from the Fed tomorrow. Um, what's going to happen with this economy as we look out a year from now? What impact are these things going to have on economic growth? Well, all you've described, Sean, is Debbie Downer. I mean, yes. But, but when you're looking at this correctly, it's, you're, you're right. Uh, I don't see a heck of a lot in this economy that makes me happy or optimistic about the future. The, the producer's price index at 10% is a very high number. And what you have to remember, Sean, is that that number is higher than the consumer price index, 
uh, and it occurs at an earlier stage. So if you look at the stages of growth in a product going through of the process, it means that consumer prices probably will be rising as well to rise up to meet the producer's price index. And, you know, it's not a good outlook there. I don't see any much good outlook in uh, what's happening in Europe. That's not good. In China, the lockdowns, these are all pieces of bad news. At some point, they will change, but I don't think they're going to change anytime soon, Sean. So, Art, I think the Fed was late to the game. Uh, they should have been raising rates far earlier. I can money Monday morning quarter back oh. that, right? But now, as you mentioned, CPI at, at 10%. To land this plane, the Fed, and not kick us into a recession, is that even possible? Are these rate hikes going to lead to um, uh, a recession for the American economy? Well, let me, if I can, take you back way back in time to 1981 when we took office on January 20th. Uh, inflation was running at 15, 16, 17 percent per annum back then. And Paul Volcker had been named chairman of the Federal Reserve Board by Jimmy Carter. And coming into that time, prime in the prime interest rate when we took office on that day was uh, 20 and a half percent, which was way above the rate of inflation, which was necessary to bring the inflation back down under control. This Fed has done nothing so far to bring it inflation down under control. If they were to do that, Sean, they would have to raise the 10-year bond yield to maybe something like, oh, 14, 15% to be able to have a real interest rate there, which has caused people to economize on their money balances. As it is now, they've been printing money galore and they've done nothing so far. And raising the interest rate a quarter point here or half a point there is not serious. It's just plain not serious when you have inflation running between uh, 7 and 10%. It's just not serious, and they haven't started the task of bringing inflation back under control. I have no idea who's at the head of figuring out the economic policies of this administration. I just don't get it. It's actually, it might sound too far out to even believe it actually happens this way, but it actually seems like many in this administration want to destroy our economy, knock us down to our knees for some reason. Is there any kind of push maybe to go into some kind of organization and have a government that just governed everybody in this organization? One world, I hate to use that because that definitely is a conspiracy theory that's been bandied around for a long time. I just don't get it. But maybe that's what's going on. Maybe that's what's happening. I just got a, a, a text from one of our viewers that said, we've gone mute, that uh, you guys can't hear me. So let me do this. We're going to go to a break and we'll check it out back on the other side. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize... Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti 
Iced White Mocha Triple Shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande Toffee Nut Latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti Green Tea Cream Frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Sir, I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coach. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. That's a little grand. I guess maybe we should use that before we give a big speech or something. <laughs> well, we we were not off the air. It turned out there apparently was uh, some problem on that listener's end. Got it fixed, so everything's okay. You know, the 900-pound gorilla in this Russia-Ukraine thing is really not Russia. It's the United States, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But Ukraine joining NATO is the the big thing that is firing off all the emergency alarm sounds in Russia. And Vladimir Putin is dead set against allowing Ukraine to become a member of NATO. Vladimir Zelensky this morning said his country has got to accept it will not become a member of the NATO military alliance. Ukraine is not a member of NATO, he said. We understand that. We have heard for years that the doors were open, but we also heard that we could not join. It's a truth and it must be recognized, he said during that video conference to our Congress. He also urged Western allies to provide Ukraine with those fighter planes. At the same time, Zelensky again called on NATO, which has given the Ukrainian military weapons and ammunition. He called on them to establish that no-fly zone over his country. It's just not going to happen. I just can't see it happening. U.S. and NATO officials said that if that agreement is ever implemented, it's not feasible. It would likely escalate the conflict with Russia. And I can tell you what, Vladimir Putin, based upon what we're watching him do every day, he wouldn't give a rip about human lives. He might even consider chemical or nuclear to win that conflict. And it would be against us and NATO members, other ones. Peace talks between Russia and Ukraine restarted yesterday after a pause on Monday. But Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told news outlets it was too early to predict the outcome, saying the work is difficult 
And in the current situation, the very fact that talks are continuing is positive. And earlier in the show, we told you that Lavrov, he thinks, who's the foreign minister of Russia, he thinks they are positive. Let's keep our fingers crossed there. But you know something that uh, nobody's talking about? There are a lot of people here in the United States that want this war to escalate. Now, what are you talking about, Dan? Well, in a letter that was sent yesterday to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and also Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, six top Republican lawmakers call for the Biden administration to give Ukraine Soviet or Russian-made strategic and tactical air defense systems and associated radars. That means long-range surface-to-air missiles, like the Soviet-made S-300 system, which is designed to shoot down any enemy aircraft and even intercept ballistic missiles. Zelensky has urged us to help Ukraine acquire S-300 air defense systems from countries that already have them, like NATO members, Bulgaria, Greece, Slovakia. He might do so again today, and he did when he addressed Congress earlier this morning. Giving that heavy weaponry to Ukraine, whether by the U.S. or even by NATO allies individually, it would represent an unprecedented level of direct military support for Ukraine that would undoubtedly and rightly be interpreted by Moscow as a big escalation by the West. But these top Republican lawmakers, they're not concerned about that. The letter was signed by Senators Jame Inhofe, Marco Rubio, James Risch, and Representatives Mike Rogers, Michael Turner, and Michael McCall. It also calls for a bunch of other weapons to be sent immediately to Ukraine. More Javelin anti-tank and more Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, which the U.S. has been providing to Ukraine in big quantities, as well as a bunch of small arms, ammunition, and other supplies. It also calls for the delivery to Ukraine of those Polish MiG-29 fighter jets, and the letter says, in the near term. And for the U.S. to re-engage Warsaw on ways to backfill those aircraft. The Republicans wrote the letter, then declared, we encourage the department to reevaluate the flawed conclusion that the transfer of these fighter jets to Ukraine would be escalatory in comparison to the weapon systems that have already been delivered to Ukraine by us and by our allies and partners. In other words, we're escalating. We're providing them all kinds of military equipment, as are our partners in Europe. Doing the jets, is that a red line for Vladimir Putin? Nobody knows, but... Most of these people in Congress are scared to death to find out. It would actually need to be escalatory simply because the weapons that have already been delivered to Ukraine are nothing compared to, say, dozens of advanced fighter jets. Poland certainly considers a course of action escalatory. After all, the entire fighter jet transfer scheme was abandoned last week when Poland responding to some loose talk from Blinken about giving a green light to the transfer, offered to deploy its MiG-29s to Ramstein Air Base in Germany and place them at the disposal of us, 
We could do it. We could turn them over to Ukraine. What Poland was doing was asking the United States to bear the risk of sending fighter jets into Ukraine, which Moscow would almost certainly consider an act of war. Why not consider everything you do now as part of an act of war? We're in an active war. The Biden administration, of course, it's history. They declined it. We're not going to do that. None of this seems to stop these Republican lawmakers, though. They seem to think we should press ahead and that we should arm Ukrainians with everything short of NATO soldiers and nukes. The idea of sending long-range surface-to-air missiles to Ukraine is identical to the MiG-29 transfer idea. Funnel advanced weapon systems to Ukraine, but somehow maintain the fiction that the U.S. and NATO are non-belligerents. At some point, we'll cross the line of belligerents. And whether and when we do that isn't something we alone get to decide. Remember this, perception is reality. And the only one that matters in that part of this conversation is Vladimir Putin. If and when he senses or feels that we are getting in this war with him, whether he, him believing it is truthful or not is immaterial. If he believes that and takes actions on that, everybody will be able to blame our actions and whatever they turn out to be, if anything, for causing it to happen. So these lawmakers don't see it, and they're not the only ones. Open the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal these days, you'll see the same kind of hand-waving over the risk of escalation. On Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal published an op-ed by Douglas Fife and John Hanna that argued for a humanitarian airlift for Ukraine without acknowledging the risk. What exactly would that look like? An international airlift openly organized and funded by the U.S. that would provide food, medicine, and other non-military supplies for days, weeks, and maybe longer. This is from the letter. Countries viewed as not hostile to Russia, perhaps Brazil, Egypt, India, and the UAE, could take the lead in flying planes into Ukraine. But since NATO and the U.S. aren't willing to impose that no-fly zone yet, It's hard to imagine pilots from those non-NATO countries will be lining up to volunteer. What happens if they get shot down? And there's a good chance that would happen. Fife and Hannah, they don't say. Russian Vladimir Putin, they argue, would either consent and facilitate distribution of supplies or provoke more denunciations of Russia for its inhumanity. Or he might shoot down a supply plane, launch a missile attack on the NATO airbase where the airlift is based, or do any number of things to widen the war in response. Fife and Hanna, along with the Wall Street Journal's editorial board, make no serious attempt to grapple with the risk involved in that kind of operation, let alone the potential for rapid escalation once you get started. Those lawmakers... They refuse to engage in even the most rudimentary risk analysis. In other words, we just need to go. We just need to go. We need to go hard and go now. Let me just say this. Vladimir Putin has made it very, very obvious that he has no regard for Ukrainian life. As of this morning, it's reported over 100 Ukrainian children have been killed 
in Putin's attacks on different cities across the nation of Ukraine. A hundred children shooting with no regard to the people you're shooting. Are they military? Are they police? Or are they civilians? Hundreds and hundreds of Ukrainian people have been slaughtered for no reason. How long do the members of the free world let this happen and not step up and stop it? Do I think we should get into a nuclear war? Absolutely not. Do I think we ought to attack Russia? Absolutely not. But I stand pretty much in total with these Republicans that sent this letter. Standing on the sidelines and watching the slaughter continue, and the only real response we do, well, we have given them a bunch of military weapons. No question about that. But the only real response we have given them is that if we do that, Russia would think and consider our doing that sufficient to start a war. And they're itching to start a war. Russia could not make it through a war, but they can make it very uncomfortable for a lot of other people on the planet. If they start shooting nukes, they have several thousand nuclear warheads already. They start shooting those folks. It's over. And within this setting we're talking about, it seems that Vladimir Putin's not a good place emotionally and mentally. If he was, he wouldn't be doing this. He's a bad guy, former KGB operative. I, I know all that. And I know how much he wants to re-engage and put the old Soviet Union back together, the mother country. I get all that. And what that tells me is the man is grappling with a whole lot more than what we see on the landscape of Russia invading Ukraine. There's a lot more at stake, and it doesn't stop with Ukraine. Now, Ukraine. Now what, 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 what am I getting to? The man has got to be stopped. He's got to be stopped. Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, I think it was last week or late the week before, he actually came out and said, we, we can pray, and I'm paraphrasing, we can pray for someone that is in Vladimir Putin's circle decides to take him out to stop all this. Oh, my gosh, Republicans and Democrats alike went all over crazy mad. At Lindsey Graham. But it was okay for us to assassinate Osama bin Laden. It was okay for us to bomb and kill Soleimani, that, I guess, the most powerful man in the military of Iran. It's okay to do that. And I could give you a number of other names and circumstances. What's the difference here? You don't ever want to take a life. But what you know, this is life. And in life, we don't always get what we want. We get dealt hands that are uncomfortable. We have problems that come not from our own doing, but from other countries and what they're doing. Sometimes you just got to stand up and say, that's not right. Stop it or else we're going to stop it. Now, again, I'm not saying I want or I think we should start a war with Russia. 
But I think if we're ever going to stop this, and folks, he's not going to stop. If we don't push back and stop him, he doesn't want just Ukraine. He wants the old Soviet Union back together. And these countries that have been independent for decades, they're not just going to say, oh, okay, come on, we'll be part of your Russian Federation. Where do we send our checks? (laughs) He's not going to say that. He's going to either kill or remove every member of government in all of these countries. That's what he's going to do first thing and replace them with his guys to run those governments in total coordination with Moscow. Are we just going to let that happen? Let me tell you who is out there that is licking their chops praying for war for the United States. The members of big military business. Now why is that, Dan? These people make billions of dollars during war because they're the ones that own the companies that build and sell jets, cargo planes, that build and sell the military vehicles that are used across the board. They create, manufacture, and sell ammunition. Everything to do with the military in a, in a battle, in a war, they're responsible for. And it's no different than the big drug companies that made billions of dollars off the taxpayers because Joe Biden and the federal government decided to use our tax dollars to buy billions of doses of those three vaccines and give them to Americans for nothing. It's the same thing. Don't think for a second that Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson didn't have strong and deep ties with the decision makers in Washington, D.C. And what's the uniting thing about those relationships that are built that are strong, strong, strong. The love of money is the root of all evil. Pfizer made more than $100 billion selling COVID-19 vaccines to the U.S. nation. Add in Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. I don't know the final numbers, but they are off the chart. Looking back at Vietnam, do you know Vietnam was made so that Lyndon Johnson, who became president when JFK was assassinated, Vietnam had just begun, but it was a perfect scenario for Johnson, who was a a military specialist, and he was a great business guy. He was formerly the governor of Texas, and he knew a lot about business. And a lot of the Texas contributions to World War II and also to Korea and to Vietnam were military equipment like the equipment I just enumerated, along with heavy aircraft manufacturing and production. And all those people that owned all those companies, not just in Texas but around the world, they lick their chops. They salivate when there are rumors of war because it's within that scenario in which these people make their big money. And guess who's out there lobbying for these people? Former managers 
and these big defense corporations. When they retire, they don't really retire. They go to work for lobbying firms on K Street, just around the corner from Congress. These are the people that go and they meet with Congress on everything that they want to see happen in the, uh, in the creation of law process or to stop it from happening. They want stuff that looks good and does good things for their clients, these defense contractors. They want all that to pass. But anything that doesn't fit that narrative, they're going to find it tooth and nail if it hurts their industry. There's nothing wrong with that. The end justifies the means in most cases. But what happens, they don't stop there. They literally do a bundle of things in almost every one of these circumstances that turns into dollars and cents for the people that are getting the other end of this. But at the same time, there's money in it, big money in it for the decision makers. Who is that? Members of the United States Congress. These lobbyists, they hear the cries of their clients, these defense corporations, and then they start going and meeting with and talking to members of Congress about the legislative issues, the parts of this process that have to be put in place before anything is going to come to pass to try to iron it out. How did they do that? Money. Money. Billions of dollars comes from the clients goes to the lobbyists, the law firms that contain these lobbyists, and then is pushed out to the decision makers. Don't think that that's not happening, folks. It has been happening for a long, 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 long time, and as long as there is government, I hate to say it, but I think it's going to continue to happen. Who benefits when there's war? Don't think for a second that there aren't people that are making a buttload full of dollars and cents off of, oh, tax dollars. And they're making big, big money. They're licking their chops, hoping there is a war because it means bottom line, big dollars for them and their companies. Lots and lots of money. And meantime, here we are as Americans, we're stuck in the middle and we have no say so. They're gonna do it regardless of what we think. Watch that as this thing ramps up. Watch it. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion. Sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste, and you're in love. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. 
all delicious, all made with whole fruit, sun-made snacks. You're going to not believe what's happening at our southern border now. Listen to this, folks. Ukrainian refugees are being turned away at the U.S. southern border. Why? Because asylum seekers are still subject to coronavirus era Title 42, which allows migrants to be expelled due to the ongoing health emergency. Biden has kept the Trump-era policy in place. Why? Because the courts told him to. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they said, you got to put it in place. His administration has defended it in court in order to help stop the southern border crisis. Immigration advocates have been calling for an end to the enforcement of Title 42, even though the U.S. is still in a state of emergency, and calls have increased this week as Ukrainians begin to arrive and request asylum. Tijuana journalists have witnessed dozens of Ukrainian and Russian families gathering outside the U.S. southern border, and families in Tijuana claim Customs and Border Protection agents are selective of who they let in. Vicente Calderon, editor for the Tijuana Press, said that even people with humanitarian parole, it would take a long time for them to get a waiver. Some were allowed to get in, but not others. February alone. U.S. Border Patrol encountered 165,000 migrants at the southern border. That's up from 10,000 from January figures of 154,000. Can you believe this? Since Biden has taken office, the crossing per month has massively increased every month. In 2020, the last year of Trump's reign, a total of 458,000 migrants were encountered at the border. In 2021, the number was 1.73 million. And that happened only during the time Biden was in the White House. As the administration struggles to find ways to stop migration, they're not trying to stop migration. They're, they're wanting it. They're ramping it up, doing things and setting policies themselves that encourage it to happen. When Russia invaded Ukraine, and by the way, that day one of this invasion was February 24th. You, you might ought to remember that. While many are going to neighboring countries like Poland, more and more are showing up over here now that Ukraine faces its 20th day of attack from Vladimir Putin. Immigration lawyers in San Diego argue the Title 42 policy is no longer needed and is leading to inhumane treatment of migrants and asylum seekers at the border as the administration claims it's necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Immigration lawyers, they're, they're, they're people that really don't understand or don't want to understand all of the facts that come into this illegal immigration thing. In fact, they're suborning it. They're pushing it up. And they're fighting, trying to go into court and make a mess and string it out and get more and more of their clients allowed to come and stay in the United States. What are laws worth, folks? If they're not being enforced, why even have laws? That's what I don't understand. What is this ringing going on? 
Wow. Sorry about that. We, we, we've been having this morning when we tried to get Mark Drennan on, uh, we spent an hour trying to get our telephone situation set up and doing, doing that, we changed settings. And so now, even after that happened, our phone keeps going off. I've got an iPad and iMac and uh, an iPhone that are all ringing at the same time. Something you didn't hear about, Russia lost a fourth general and seven of their SWAT fighters from an elite unit under Putin's direct control as top Russian airman warns the scale of losses will horrify the Russian nation when they learn the truth. We don't ever hear about that from the other side. We don't have access to Russian media now. Another one of its generals, Major General Oleg Mitayev, 47 years old, who's commander of the Army's 150th Motorized Rifle Division, died fighting around the besieged city of Mariupol. Ukraine's Interior Ministry said this late yesterday as officials released a picture of what they claim was his corpse on the battlefield. That's the fourth Russian general Ukraine claims to have taken out and the 13th officer overall. Seven elite SWAT fighters from the feared Dzerzhinsky Division of Russia's National Guard were also revealed to have died in the fighting. A mourning picture was released in Russia showing the pictures of six elite Maroon Beret Special Forces fighters from the Vityaz Special Purpose Center named after Soviet secret police founder Felix Dzerzhinsky. It was later revealed that a seventh a seventh one has been slain. Meanwhile, respected test pilot Captain Alexander Garnov quit a number of positions over the completely incomprehensible war. Sooner or later, society will know the final number of losses and be horrified, he said. When the people in the, in the military, when you're in a battle, and they head for the exits, not everybody, knowingly, you know, it's just happening willy-nilly. But nevertheless, that spirit permeates through the military. And you know what that happens. You got people that are bailing left and right. And then you have people that are actually running, not wanting to be a part of it. But when you start le- losing the elite military members that are pretty much major uh, military action successful and they're gone, you know you're up against a hard rock. Meanwhile, back home, 69% of voters believe our nation is on the wrong track. Consult Politico just released this just a few minutes ago. Only 31% told the pollsters the nation is headed in the right direction. That's a 38-point gap in opinion. Biden's numbers have drastically changed since a year ago when the nation was evenly split 50-50 on the direction under his administration. The mood among Americans comes as the U.S. has undergone significant challenges, in part, large part, maybe all in part, due to Biden's leadership or the lack thereof. In just one year, more than 2 million migrants have been apprehended at the southern border. Fentanyl, has become the greatest killer among 18 to 45-year-olds 
Inflation has soared to a 40-year high. Gas prices have increased to all-time record highs. Weekly wages gone down. Supply chain woes have persisted and gone up. And the deadly Afghan withdrawal deeply embarrassed the nation. Those probably uh, capsule the reason for the problem with the numbers of approval that this president has. The manufactured crises, manufactured crises, they certainly have impacted Biden's approval rating. Only 18% of voters strongly approve of him. 18%, folks, 42% strongly disapprove. A 24-point differential. Overall, the poll gave Biden a 41% approval rating, 56% disapproving. Now, what are Democrats going to do? Have you thought about that? I've asked it over and over again, and I've watched for it. And so far, folks, they haven't changed a thing. They're just going right down the middle of the road, leaning to the left. And as they go further down the road, they're going further and further away from the highway middle line. They're going to try to figure something out, but they're invited too. They don't have any unity. And they have no agreement on what to do or how to do anything to right the ship before the November elections. Some Democrats, they're continuing to push for their radical measures in Biden's stall Build Back Better agenda. Others seem content to let the package just fade away. Biden didn't mention Build Back Better by name during a State of the Union address on the 1st of March. This poll sampled 2,005 registered voters, and they did it from March 11 to 14 with a two-point margin of error. No matter how you frame it, folks, Biden's in trouble. His administration is not doing good at all. And at this late stage, it's going to be really difficult to right the ship. It really is. I don't know if they'll be able to get anything done. And if we keep spiraling down, folks, where does this stop? You keep you keep thinking. You, I, I think it's because in our history as a nation, what we've lived through is we see these ups and downs where government makes bad policy decisions and those policy decisions turn into heartache and, and hard times for the American people. But then they circle back around and, either do away with the legislation that got us in those places or pass some new and get it signed into law and they get us out of those. We're in one right now, folks. We may be approaching no way to get out of it. I mean, I'm not predicting that. I'm not saying that we are. I'm saying it looks like we're close to being in a position where we can't get out of it. We owe so much money. And everybody thinks that the big lender in this whole thing for our national debt is China. It's not. A huge portion of the American debt, the American government debt, is held by the American people. What do I mean? Here's how the Fed handles when you hear they're just printing money. They're not printing money. They're printing bonds. And these bonds are then sold at auctions. Who are the buyers? Well, the Chinese buy some. Other countries buy some. 
But the biggest buyers are the American people. And we don't buy them. You don't go to your local bank and say, hey, I want a treasury bill. You don't do that. You go to your stockbroker. Your stockbroker. All these big um, Wall Street banks and investment companies and their branches around the country, they sell those. And usually when they sell at an auction, which the U.S. Treasury does, they sell in big numbers. So these banks, these investment companies, these security firms, what they're doing is they're buying these bonds and they're putting them in the different entities that they service as far as 501c3, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant simple IRA and uh, retirement funds. They go into those retirement funds and technically, if you're in a money market deal, as part of your investment, you have a portfolio that has investments in a money market. That money market is comprised of a bunch of diversified in investments and in large part, there are a bunch of treasury bills that are in there, which means you own a little piece of that. If those ever fail, folks, we're toast. There's no way we can get out of it. We owe $30 trillion and we have probably another 60 or 70 that are unfunded liabilities. What are those? Medicare, Medicaid, and all the bills that are hanging out there that we have been unable to pay in the past. The economy could take us down, could take this country down very quickly if we don't get this ship righted. And that means we got to get back to making money. We got to get back to stop spending this crazy money with no way included in any plan of how to pay it back. Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi can get up on their high horse and tell us we don't have budget deficits. We've cut them dramatically. When you look at the numbers, the exact opposite is true. We haven't cut spending, and they say that all this spending is not inflationary. Horse hockey. It is, folks. Dramatically. And just because they say something is what they say it is definitely doesn't mean that's what it is. Russia claimed this morning, just a few minutes ago, that Joe Biden and the United States have caved on its demand to protect its trade with Iran from sanctions under the new version of the Iran nuclear deal that the administration has pursued and that talks may now resume. The talks which restarted shortly after Biden took office, were said to be close to a deal last week when Russia insisted that its trade with Iran be protected from U.S. sanctions that have been applied since Russian forces invaded Ukraine. The agency over in France reported yesterday, excuse me, early this morning that the U.S. complied with Russian demands according to Moscow. Here's what came out of Moscow. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said yesterday that Moscow had received guarantees from the U.S. on its ability to trade with Tehran as part of ongoing talks to salvage the Iran nuclear deal. We received written guarantees. They're included in the text of the agreement itself on the resumption of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action on the Iranian nuclear program, Lavrov 
told reporters. You know what the sad part about this whole thing is? That all happened, and the United States Congress is nowhere in the conversation. They're supposed to be the ones that supervise all financial activities, spending 100% the responsibility of the House of Representatives. We'll get through it somehow, folks. You have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, at TNN Live. Thank you for being here. You have a great one.